Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there. Welcome, everybody, to the Nurse Leader Network podcast. I'm your host, Chris Racinos. So there's been so much work done this year around addressing burnout in our staff. We have heard that the year of the nurse is now going to be extended to 2021. And there's all kinds of initiatives. I actually just signed up with the American Nurses Association to begin looking at how to address burnout in clinicians. But there's one question that I don't see on the top of minds, and that is really how do we address burnout in leadership. So today's episode is going to address burnout in you, the leaders that are listening. So stick around. It's going to be an episode you don't want to miss. All right. So in today's episode, we have Tracy and Michelle from The Missing Logic. Welcome, ladies. Oh, welcome. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast, Chris. Yeah, we're excited to be here. So let's start with uh, you, Tracy. Tracy, tell us, how did you go from graduated high school, you got into healthcare. How'd you go from that to what you're currently up to with the missing logic? Oh, well, sure. Yeah, I actually had a very dear friend of mine who was in a terrible car accident. And she was intubated on a ventilator, actually almost lost her life when they tried to remove her trach. So I was by her bedside a lot. And that's where I got exposed. And I'm actually a respiratory therapist. So that's where I first got exposed to respiratory therapy. And I thought, I could do this. (laughs) I think this is something I could do. And that was really my entry into respiratory therapy, right? And then I met Michelle at hospital orientation. And we were actually orienting to a very large hospital. And we were sitting in this big, huge auditorium with, I don't know, there was probably maybe 50, 60 people there. And they said, stand up and shake the hand of the person behind you. And I was that person, and we'd like to say we've been shaking hands ever since. (laughs) So we worked together at the bedside and ICU, and then as we kind of grew up as leaders together, we did a lot of work around interprofessional collaboration, really led it before it was cool. And we had the great fortune to work with a nurse mentor, and uh, she developed a model for healthy healing work cultures, and we implemented that model and took it out across the country. And that kind of was really what got us excited about working Mm -hmm. with organizations to create healthy work environments, working with leaders. I've worked with leaders all across the country and helping them to create these healthy work environments and support interprofessional collaboration. And so that's really kind of how I got here today in working with healthcare leaders, again, in healthcare organizations across the country. Wow. Isn't it so interesting the way that our life experiences just kind of lead us into, you know, where we're at. And a lot of the times it's a negative thing that has happened that really has forced us to take a look at, reflect on where we want to be at in life. So I'm sorry to hear that you lost your friend, but I am so glad to hear that you have really, you know, honored her life by going into the profession and helping countless others. So uh, thank you for sharing your story, Tracy. Sure. Michelle, uh, let us know. So we know you guys met, but tell me how you got into uh, healthcare. Well, how I got into healthcare, going back to the high school days since you brought it up, Chris. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> is I was a junior in high school and I got called out of a room by a teacher and I thought I was in trouble. And it ended up being a guidance counselor. And he told me I was one of three high school students that was selected to start a co-op nurses aid program. And 
uh, the first words out of my mouth were, I don't want to be a nurse. (laughs) And he really encouraged me to think about it because I did like biology and science. And uh, I went home and I talked to my parents and thought, hey, you know what? This is a great way to get my foot in the door and just see what's going on in healthcare." And I did that. And when I actually was trained as a nurse's aide and saw what nurses did, I was sold. So I went into nursing and then through my nursing career, I met the mentor that Tracy mentioned, Bonnie Wasork. She was actually my instructor my last year in nursing school. And I always had a passion for interprofessional collaboration. I did my master's thesis in nursing and nurse physician relationships. And that was just a passion Tracy and I shared. We shared healthy work cultures and collaborative practice. That's been our jam for many, many years. What first led you both to really understand what interprofessional collaboration is? What was it about that piqued your interest? Well, I think for me as a respiratory therapist, I knew I had so much to offer that I had a much deeper scope of practice than many knew or understood because we only know what we see on the surface. We don't see the critical thinking, the judgment skills, all of what every clinician brings to the bedside. And so I just really felt like it was kind of unknown, right? And when we started to work together, when Michelle and I started to work together, really at the bedside, really took an interest in understanding each other's scope of practice. I realized I had not a clue about the nurses and the human response. Like I never knew that part of their scope of practice. I saw them do a lot of the technical things, things I could see with my eyes, but I really didn't know that they were supporting patients in that way and that the depth of that, right? And how it really differentiated them. So I think learning those things really stimulated me to learn more about the other professions and to really be an advocate for it. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, Chris, to me, it was about satisfaction. It was about joy in my work. When I have a really good relationship with a colleague, I just knew not only did it make a difference for patients, but it made a difference for me and for the team. And so physicians, I was always really interested as a critical care nurse and knew, boy, when you were together working on a patient, it really made a difference. And I did demonstrate with my thesis that it did impact work nurse satisfaction. And then when you're working on an interprofessional team, and I've always loved working with respiratory therapists as a critical care nurse, you know, together, it's the two of you together that can really make that positive outcome for the patient and for the family. So yeah, it's always been something that's just really been important. I know for myself anyways, I think we didn't appreciate other disciplines the way that we could have until COVID hit. I know the moment COVID hit and we looked at okay, we're not going to have enough respiratory therapists, for example. And I was like, okay, who knows how to run those machines? And I was meeting with my nurses and they were like, not me. And then, you know, my physicians, I had some of the ICU docs were kind of comfortable, but I mean, we had one ICU doc on at a time, right? And so it was uh, really interesting to see it from a different lens around how integral, like we knew it, right? We know it, we talk about it. But when you actually look at how unable you are to do your job, without any of the members of the team, right? It's just really eye-opening. And so I love that you focus on that. What advice would you have for, say, a new nurse or a new leader or somebody maybe who is hearing this and saying, you know, I want to reflect. What advice would you have around how to really begin to invest in those interprofessional relationships? Like what did you two do to really strengthen your bond? Well, I think it's looking at how you work together, right? You can't be interprofessional if you work in silos, 
So we've done a couple of different things. We have a lot of experience on helping people be strong as individuals with their scope of practice and also as a team. And it could be doing things like interprofessional rounds. Like Tracy and I were doing interprofessional rounds before even anybody was talking about it. And I said, we should have published that years ago. (laughs) But we also know that you have to come together in a sustained infrastructure. So some sort of council infrastructure. And I think we've all seen organizations really lean heavily on nursing councils, but really they should be interprofessional. So that's another thing that I think is really significant. Tracy, did you... Yeah, I would agree. I think the infrastructures bring you together in a different way, away from the bedside. You know, when you're in the moment, your focus is on the patient, right? But when you can step back and have meaningful conversation with each other and really begin to understand each other on a deeper level, I think that's important. I think the other thing is don't make assumptions. You know, don't make assumptions about other disciplines. Really take an interest and be curious about them. And then the other thing is to be able to speak and articulate your own scope of practice. So advocate for yourself and the critical thinking that you're doing. You brought up the ventilators. There's a lot more to running a ventilator than turning a knob. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Absolutely. It's a very complex piece of machinery, right? That's supporting a human life. And there's a lot of things to be monitoring and looking at every time you make a change, it can change something else. So again, just really being curious and asking and not making assumptions. I think from an individual perspective, just starting out that way is just so helpful because people appreciate it when you ask, tell me why you did that. Tell me what your thinking is behind that and teach each other, you know, just teach Mm -hmm. each other. Yeah. For those of you who are listening that are on your magnet journeys or for those of you who are overseeing magnet rules, I think there's a huge lesson here around working in silos and for magnets. Shared councils are phenomenal and we can do better. So let's see you all put some interprofessional shared governance councils in there. We're imploring you. I'm a PhD candidate studying interprofessional healthcare studies. And what I'm studying is professional and interprofessional identities within shared governance council structures. So do they have both a professional identity and an interprofessional identity? That's part of my research. Oh, I can't wait to see the outcome. When are you going to be done? (laughs) I hope by the middle of summer. That's my goal. Okay, very awesome. Very cool. So you two at Missing Logic have really put the leader at the center. You really have done a lot of work, really focused your work around the leaders. Tell me why that is. Well, I think the whole world has had their eyes on clinicians, right? And rightfully so. I mean, clinicians were burned out before we got to COVID. And now just the unprecedented stress and challenges that they face, they certainly need somebody to have their eyes on them. But what Michelle and I became aware of is who's looking out for the healthcare leader. And behind every clinician is a leader holding them up. And if that leader is not strong, then the organization is not strong and the other clinicians have less of an opportunity to be strong and resilient as well. So that's why we have focused our efforts on the leaders because they're the linchpin. They're the kingpin in the whole organization. And without them really truly understanding how to fully develop their resilience, how to thrive within their roles and how to be their best self at work and at home, it's really difficult for them to lead the clinicians down that path, right? Or to create an organization that is a healthy healing organization that honors well-being and resilience, that really creates that environment where individuals can thrive and be connected to their purpose. 
and really live out their passions as clinicians. So that's why we're focused on leaders. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that because I've worked in countless organizations and I've witnessed countless organizations really and wholeheartedly talk about the importance of taking care of yourself, especially as a leader. However, sometimes our actions are very different than our words. So we'll say that it's super important that you take care of yourselves. We really want that. But then when it comes to maybe asking for time off or establishing some work-life boundaries around off on weekends, or I'm not staying until 7 p.m., I see that's where we start to slip. And it could be like a very insidious slip, right? It's like, oh, I'll just stay an extra half an hour today. or And then it goes to two hours. And then before you know it, we're back to working a 60-hour work week. And so... I think it's an absolutely important thing to really discuss because we as leaders have folks looking up to us. And if we are not managing our wellness, we can't expect them to. We got to practice what we preach, right? Yes. Definitely. Yes. And we've lived it. <laughs> we have. Yeah, we've lived it too, where you say one thing, but you do another. <laughs> yeah, I know. I still do that with my kids. I'm like, no chocolate cake for you as I shovel the chocolate cake in my mouth. <laughs> And I don't know if it's really because I don't want them to have the chocolate cake or if I just don't want to share. But yeah, absolutely. So you have done something that's really revolutionary around creating this framework, this model to help address burnout and really help address the mind body connection and our balance. Talk to me about it. The listeners would love to hear what you all are working on. What, that, what does that framework look like? So yeah, we have a framework we call the dynamic balance effect, and it has three different pillars to it. And it really emerged from all of our work and the need for leaders to have help right now. And so we just kind of took everything that we've learned over these 30 years and put it together. And dynamic balance is what's really critical for leaders right now. So it has three different pillars. And one is that it has personal alignment. So it's really important that they're personally aligned to their vision, their purpose, their goals. And what we find, Chris, is leaders don't take time to sit down and even think about that. Or it was 20 years ago when they first got their first management. So we really focus on that. And then we also have a pillar of mindful choices. And in that, we really help them look at the choices that they do make and that they are connected to their values things that are really important to them and that and their identity. So we revisit all of that with the leaders as well. And then sort of our secret sauce of our dynamic balance effect framework is what we call polarity intelligence. And this is helping them realize that there are tensions in their lives that are always going to be there. And so we bring that to the forefront and we help them identify what they are and help them to really create their own way of having a strategy to manage these tensions. So it's a very dynamic framework and they are really resonating with it. Tell me more about the tension. So when you say you help them identify tensions that are always going to be there, what does that look like for individuals? What do you see as common tensions that are always there? Sure. So the tensions are also sometimes called polarities, right? So they appear to be opposite, but they're actually interdependent. So when you think about work-life balance. Work and home, our work life and our personal life are interdependent. We need both in order to really have a thriving quality life, right? And so what we teach them is how that relationship works because every polarity works the same way. Every tension acts exactly the same way. So it doesn't matter which one you're managing, 
Once you learn to manage it, you can manage any of the tensions. Other tensions are, we mentioned this earlier, self and other. Right now, leaders are really focused on caring for their team and focused on making sure the team is strong and the team has everything they need and they are mm -hmm. neglecting themselves. And what happens is it's predictable. When you overemphasize one of those poles, like others, to the neglect of self, it's 100% predictable that over time, and it's hard to tell exactly when it's going to happen, but you're going to experience the downside of that. And then what we tend to do is go, oh, yeah, I've been putting too much effort on work now. Okay, I'm going to join the gym. I'll take a <laughs> vacation. I'll get a massage. Okay, good. Now that I'm going to have a smoothie. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll have a smoothie. And that lasts for a little while until, again, we overemphasize work to the neglect of ourselves. So we're in this pendulum swinging back and forth constantly. What we teach them is, Michelle said, to put an action strategy in place where they're giving attention to both mm -hmm. consistently so they can stay in the upside. In other words, getting the positive experiences, thriving, being resilient, right? Versus exhausted, tired, stressed, right? So we keep them creating a plan that helps them to stay in the upside and identify early warning signs so they know early on when they're starting to get that slippage, right? Like you said, so yeah, yeah. they've got keys, right? Cues that they can see right away and others can help them see if they can't see it themselves. And then they course correct quickly. So they always stay in the positive and they never experience a negative consequence. And so they learn to manage that work and home, self and other activity and rest is another one. They're all ones we're aware of, but we don't realize the nature of the relationship between the two and how it works. That's what we teach them. What would you tell the person that's listening right now that's like, okay, this sounds great, but I have four kids and I'm in my doctoral program and I'm a nurse manager and I volunteer for Save the Pets. And how do they fit it all in? And what would you tell them about somebody who needs some convincing around managing and balancing? I would say that they really need the dynamic balance. <laughs> no, seriously, what I would tell them is it's all individualized to you. That's what's so awesome about it when we work with leaders is everybody's lives are different. Everybody has different things going on in their personal life. They have different things going on in their work life. And the tension is there, whether you believe it or not. And you can't see it. It's like gravity, but it's there and it's working on you all the time. So we're big believers in baby steps is first awareness. What action steps do I have to put in place? Even if they're just a few, because what happens and where people get really burnt out is they over-focus on one at the neglect of the other and they end up experiencing all the negative um, symptoms, they end up being burned out. So there are ways that you can give them a strategy and give them tools to really help them. And they learn so much, they don't realize what they're doing to themselves. So they learn a tremendous amount. Well, I think the key is dynamic. Think about a tight rope walker, right? When they're walking across a tight rope, they're making tiny little adjustments all the way across to maintain their balance, right? So they lean a little this way, they lean a little that way, but they're just making small adjustments. So they create a blueprint with all the possibilities of actions that they can take to get the positive outcomes. And then they evaluate on an ongoing basis. Okay, I got a really heavy week at work. 
what are one or two things I can do at home to maintain that balance, to keep things going? Oh, got a heavy home week this week. Kids got lots of activities. What am I going to do to make sure I don't slip on the work side, right? So they're constantly evaluating. They're not doing everything. They're choosing. They're making mindful choices about what matters most in this moment. What matters most this week? What can I do on both of these sides to keep going? The key is don't let go of one pole. Don't stop doing one set of action steps to neglect them. So that's the key. It's just tiny little adjustments. This is kind of how we teach them to dance Mm -hmm. and how to create their plan and move and be dynamic. That's why it's called the dynamic balance effect. I love that. I love the way you kind of discussed it as a dance, because that really is kind of like a flow, right? We're not falling off any edges here. Now, you mentioned that one of the first things that you teach is around awareness. What is like your top tip or one great tip around how people can become more aware? Like what type of advice would you give? Well, Chris, do you ever feel tension? (laughs) I feel it all the time. (laughs) That's your first clue. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. Well, we help them understand the energy in a polarity and you feel them. You feel tension. And when you feel tension, we help leaders not only ask, what is the problem here? Ask, is there a polarity that I'm dealing with here? Is that's what's causing my tension? And it is. So that awareness is really, really powerful. And then we teach them how to not be afraid of it. Don't fight it. Lean into it. What is it? Name it. Are you paying attention to both of these poles? And then that's where the magic starts. And Tracy, I don't know you'd add to that. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Whenever you feel tension, yeah, the polarity at work. And like Michelle said, they're like gravity. So while we've experienced them, we haven't known what to call it. We didn't know what to describe it. So I think the second thing is once you feel the tension, just pause. All right, what am I feeling tension around, right? And then what is the opposite of that? Because that is typically what you're fighting against, right? When as a leader, sometimes another key polarity can be mission and margin, right? And we can feel the tension between serving and being responsible financially, right? Sometimes we really feel the tension when we have to lean heavy into the margin. We can feel that tension inside us, right, as leaders. And so as soon as you feel the tension, you just stop and go, okay, what is this? It doesn't matter what words you put to it. There's no perfect words. Everybody's going to describe it whatever way they want to. But it's just recognizing it. And then you get that, aha, oh, okay, all right. Well, I'm feeling tension because maybe I'm afraid we're going to let go of the mission, right? Or I'm afraid something's going to happen. So fears often too. If there's something you're afraid of in the midst of that, that's giving you some clues of what you feel you're going to lose if you keep going down the path you're on. So that's another key awareness of things that you're fearful about, things you highly value, or that tension. That you're yeah, that's interesting. I can see how really looking at what you're afraid of. Because when I see nurse managers, I mean nurse managers, I think one of the things that they're really afraid of, especially when it comes to margin and finances, is their knowledge base. It's not something that they were taught or, you know, so they just don't feel competent in that area. And that tends to be a a reason why I see a lot of them shy away from it because they can't articulate maybe what the needs are or why the, you know, it looks the way it does. And I've also seen it with the mission as well. And so, I mean, how do you manage that? We talked a little earlier about 
about establishing their values. How do you manage that when maybe what you're doing is at odds with your values? Well, we've had a number of coaching situations around that, actually. I think the first thing is just getting clear on what your values are. I think sometimes we lose touch with it, really. And in the face of what we've all experienced over the last year, values change. What matters most today may not have been what mattered most a year ago today. So I think, one, you have to just get very, very clear because that is what grounds you. And it also drives your behavior. It drives the decisions you make, or at least it should play a very important part in your decision. And if you're at odds, you need to step back and think about what is the whole context of the situation when it comes to, I value what's important to me and what's happening in this organization. And what is the potential, right, to get realigned? And what is the potential if that's not an option? Mm -hmm. Now, I have faced times where I was very driven by my values, what I thought was most important when it came to healthcare, my role in healthcare, what I wanted to do. And when there became a separation, it became clear that what I wanted and where my organization was going, I knew then it's my choice. And that's why we say make mindful choices based on your values, based on your principles, based on the things that matter most to you, because that is what brings you joy in life. And if you're not aligned, you're not going to have joy. You're not going to have happiness. You're always going to be struggling. And sometimes it's just about making the decision, is it the right thing to stay or is this time to make a different decision? And that's different for every person. But we really feel strongly that it's that grounding that drives the decisions, the value in your life, right? And what you're going to experience overall. Without that, you're kind of anchorless. Right. And then you feel a lot more tensions, <laughs> right? Because you're fighting things, right? And you're not clear. The other thing I would add to that, Tracy, that is excellent, is we also look at personal alignment with your strengths. So with that situation you described, Chris, you know, it's it may not be a nurse manager's strengths to really be great at the financial piece, but then who are they choosing to partner with to help them? You don't have to know everything. So when you look at the mission margin polarity, it does require people with strengths in finance and strengths with the mission and why we're here. And when they come together in healthy relationships, that also can make a big difference. Yeah. I recently worked with an individual who had those issues around values. It reminded me of a toxic relationship, right? Like a domestic violence type of relationship where this person had such a difference in values in terms of where they worked and where they were, yet she was so uncomfortable with change, even though the change would have been great, that it was just a huge barrier for her. And in trying to help her sort things out, I found a ton of articles and research around, I mean, we'd rather be comfortable with negative things than have any type of risk to go into something positive. And I can say everything that I've ever risked something for has always ended up being either a lesson that I needed or the absolutely the right thing. And so I love that you all are helping folks with that. Now, that being said, what do you feel are some of the biggest mistakes you see healthcare leaders making when they're trying to achieve these balances and really take care of themselves? Yeah, there's really three big mistakes that we see leaders make, Chris, when it comes to work-life balance. And one of it is just how they think about it. They don't even realize their thoughts even impact their ability to have work-life balance. And a real common myth is that it has to be 50-50. I have to 
devote 50% of my time to my work and 50% of my time to my personal life or my home life. And that's not true. And you know that now because you learned about the dynamic balance on your podcast. (laughs) And the other one is, well, if it doesn't exist, then it has to be all about integration, right? And Tracy and I know it's not about taking the two and just balling them all up and say, okay, now I have work-life balance because it really takes that awareness and that intention. And so that's one mistake is even how they look at it. Then the next one is they have to have a strategy. They really have to take the time to have that strategy of how do I balance my work life and my personal life? And that's what we teach them how to do. And they have a work-life balance blueprint. So I can't tell you how many leaders we've coached in the last nine months that have said, it is so powerful to write it down because they don't realize everything that's connected to it and that they really do need a strategy. Otherwise, they're going to go off course again. It's just going to happen. That's what happens if you're not aware. And then the third one is working from circumstances. And I think as leaders, being leaders, as long as we have, there's always circumstances as leaders. But with a pandemic, it's probably even more like on steroids of feeling like a victim, like I didn't do this. This isn't my fault. And you have to just reshape that to more of a internal creator mentality, because that will make a big difference. And again, there's leaders have said, yeah, I recognize that now. I have pity parties for myself. That's how bad it is. (laughs) They invite people on Zoom with them. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So those are some common mistakes that we see leaders make. It's so funny. Oh, go ahead. No, I just think we focus externally, right? Like, It's the environment's fault, right? It's where I am. And I think one thing that we do is help people go internal. Like it starts with you. Everything starts with you. And I think that's the other element here that, you know, when it comes to operating from circumstances, it's not about what's happening externally. It's about how you're interpreting it and the actions that you're taking because of those interpretations. Yeah, you can't control the external. You can only control the internal and the way I recently started. And it was so funny because I was like, I need to figure out how to fit it all in. And I was with a couple of mastermind folks of mine and they were like, it's a choice. Like you can't fit it all in. You have to choose what you want to do. And so the advice I got was to start with like positive affirmations and visualizing like where I wanted to go. And I was like, oh my God, that is so hippie. There's no way that I'm going to be doing that nor that it will work. But I was like, eh, I'll give it a try. And lo and behold, you'll see like on this wall back here, you guys see on the little wall back here, I actually have my positive affirmations on my wall. So every day I sit and look at them and then I kind of read them to myself around you have a choice and you are these things and it's been really I gotta say I didn't believe that it was gonna work at all and it has really transformed the way that I view things in terms of circumstances and really things not happening to you but how you roll with the punches I want to go back to you made a comment and I was just kind of like laughing to myself around strategy and it's just so interesting to me how As leaders, we function off of strategy, right? I mean, we make these goals. That's how we get these organizations where they need to go. We're really great at planning it. But then in our own lives, like that knowledge has just like totally gone out the window. I recently used that wheel of life circle, decide, okay, where am I doing good? And I had hit all the nail on the head on all the business aspects and all of that. And then I was like, 
When was the last time I went out with my husband on a date? And I was like, oh, 2018 or, you know, it was some crazy, like my husband's like, I told you. And it was like, okay, I need to put a strategy around this. And so my strategy at that point was let's go on a date tomorrow or, you know, or whatever. And then we went on one date and then we didn't have any more dates after that. And I was like, okay, that's not strategy. I actually have to be intentional about it because it's that easy that it just slips off when you're not like monitoring it the way that you would monitor a metric at your job. And so I love that we are so good at strategy at work. And then when it comes to home, sometimes we act like we don't know. (laughs) Well, we're achievers, right? Most leaders are high achievers, right? And they're set out, right? They've got a mission in mind and they're going to make it happen, right? And we're really good with that. So I think it is so important. And and you said the key word, which is intention. And that's what we teach leaders to do is live an intentional life. Do everything with intention, right? And when you do that and you're kind of monitoring your life and the whole of your life, you're going to have a much more, right, robust, quality, complete life because you're giving attention to those things. And we tend to be doers, not beers, right? And so one of the things that we help people do is stop doing so much and start being a little bit more, right? So to your point, getting in touch with ourselves, right? Positive affirmations, just being quiet, journaling, just taking the time to just be, because that's when we can be more creative, right? When we can bring more of ourselves, like we get downloads. <laughs> we call them downloads from the universe, right? You get ideas and you get refreshed and leaders need that in order to really give everything they want to give in the doing part of their life, right? So to your point, we spend a lot, quite a bit of time on identity and beliefs because of what you said earlier, right? And people kind of like, oh, what? <laughs> I'm like, wait <laughs> a minute. Do what? But yeah. the truth is you won't change what you're doing unless you change who you're being, yep. right? So it is a choice. And who do I need to be? In other words, do I need to be committed? Do I need to be responsible? Do I need to be more caring or compassionate? Who do I need to be to get these outcomes that I want? Because I clearly don't have them now, which means I'm not being who I need to be to get them. <laughs> so we spend quite a bit of time. I love that. I read a book a couple of days ago, actually, and it was a guy who said, I can predict your future with like a 99% accuracy if you tell me how you spend your day. And it's so true, right? What you do today is what you will see, what manifested, right? And so if today you're not taking care of yourself, you're not setting a good example for your people. Today, it has to be done like now. You can't wait till tomorrow because tomorrow never comes. But you can tell exactly where you're going to end up, whether you're going to be burned out or stressed out or successful or have a team that leaves because that reflection wasn't there. And so everything that you ladies are talking about is just so important. Can you imagine the world if every single one of our leaders, especially in healthcare, took like four hours out of their week to really just reflect on what needs to happen, on new solutions, on different ideas, on just taking care of themselves, not even related to work. We would have a whole different world, I think. Oh, yeah, we would. We would. We yeah. would. That's what we're after. I love it. I love the change makers. Yeah, we're going to transform healthcare one leader at a time. <laughs> love it. So you work with individual leaders. You also work with healthcare organizations. Yeah, we do. Actually, we have a whole nother framework for healthcare organizations, and we call it the H2O framework, but it's a healthy healing organization framework. And that one has three pillars as well. 
it has people. So, right, every organization, the foundation of the organization is people. So it's really helping them, right, have strong relationships to be strong, resilient, balanced individuals. So we can apply the dynamic balance effect to the people in the organization to strengthen everybody. And then the other is processes. So we like to make sure organizations have right the tools, the processes, the infrastructures in place that they need to help them be a healthy healing organization. What's inhibiting you? What's strengthening you as an organization? And then we have identified eight kind of crux, what we call crux polarities that we can measure with an assessment. So the organization can put their finger on the pulse of how healthy and healing their organization is. And that assessment really is made up of a numerous maps, right? Polarity maps. That kind of tells them where we're strong, where we're overemphasizing, where we need better balance. And then they can, you know, evaluate their infrastructures and processes to strengthen those areas where, you know, they're weak. So we kind of leverage, again, it's that polarity intelligence we bring in. And, and then we're also huge proponents of meaningful conversations. So making sure people have the communication skills, the dialogue skills they need, and the relationships. Healthy relationships are core to a healthy healing organization. So that's another aspect of the work that we do. So we kind of help them evaluate where they're at get their finger on the pulse, and then make adjustments as they need to and balance these natural tensions that are in the organization and shift. There are problems to be solved in every organization, but not every situation is a problem. The majority of them are these dynamics, these tensions, these polarities that have to be managed. And unless you know you need to manage them, you're always trying to solve them and they're not solvable. They're never going to be solvable. And so if you're doing that as an organization, you're swinging on the pendulum just like an individual would, right? You go from focusing on the margin to focusing on the mission, focusing on patient experience to focusing on the clinician experience. We overemphasize, right? Or if what we have in place isn't as effective as it needs to be, then we're not getting the outcomes that we want and we don't get to that higher purpose that we're after. So that's what we're trying to help the organization at large manage while the individual manage their own personal polarities, right? That they have. To- that's great because it's something that's so common in healthcare. It's true. You see, we tackle and are always putting out the fires, right? So whatever that fire is, we're going to tackle it. But then at what expense? What is it that you're putting all your resources into one area? And yes, you may improve that, but then now what, right? We work on patient satisfaction and then how does that impact access or whatnot? So, I mean, that's great. Yeah. Now, you have two programs that are upcoming. Talk to me about those. Yeah, so the first one is I have developed a self-study, Chris. It's been so great working with leaders, and we're always asking, what else do you need? What else do you need? And they really want self-study. So we have a self-study program coming up. It's going to be available the beginning April 19th, and it's Caring for Others Without Neglecting You, which we've talked a lot about on your podcast. And then we also introduce leaders to our coaching programs through the Work-Life Balance Boot Camp. And it's just like that foundation understanding. They walk away with the blueprint and we're offering our next one on May 17th. And they will be available on our website, missinglogic.com forward slash new dash events. And so people can go there and check it out. And we would love to have more leaders. We know there's a lot of leaders out there that could really benefit from this and work with Tracy and I. There's a lot in the dynamic balance effect framework. 
And it can seem pretty overwhelming for a very busy leader, right? So he's got, to your point, a full plate already. So we've sliced off components of these to teach people slowly, get them exposed to what clarity intelligence is, how these tensions work. And we help them just very slowly before we get them involved in the bigger, larger program. So it kind of helps them yeah. ease in, right? Little bits yeah. at a time. I always love the concept of a boot camp. I always host a boot camp when it's like powerful information that you just need to get in there. Now, folks are interested in hearing more from you. They can check out your podcast, The Missing Logic Podcast. Where else can they find you if they'd like to reach out? Well, we're on LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn page for Missing Logic. We also have our personal LinkedIn profile. So we really welcome people to follow us there. And then we have a private Facebook group for the Resilient and Balanced Healthcare Leader Community. And we have leaders from all over that join that, that just want to stay connected in the things that Tracy and I are doing and talking about. And we also have a Missing Logic Facebook page and a Missing Logic Twitter. So those were the places we show up. Awesome. Thank you. It has been fantastic talking to you. I feel just relaxed already knowing that the information's out there. I know, right? I'm going to be checking out Missing Logic in their Facebook group. and But it has been fantastic having you on. I'm super thrilled. I keep doing the work that you are doing. It really does start with you. And so the work that you guys are doing, the ladies are doing is just really fantastic. And so happy to see that you're focused on leaders because a lot of times we're only focused on our front line. So this is super special to me. It was amazing having you on the show. And then to all of the listeners, we appreciate you. We hope to see you on our next episode. It was great chatting with you too. Oh, thank you so much. It was so much fun. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thanks. 